Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Sniper Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hi. Freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello. And resident 2SER critic and broadcaster and everything about town, Stephen Hill. Stephen, thank you so much for joining Hi. us. Hey, good morning, everyone. So we are here with our first special... Actually, we had a few special Sydney Film Festival episodes, but we are coming at you now for an hour. If we're on radio... A little bit more on the podcast, took All Things City Film Festival, which is in full swing. The We'll be joined at the beginning of the segment by the Film and Revolt crew. Film and Revolt, filmandrevolt.org is a group of young people who are passionate about film, who focus on film as regards youth programming, but also film generally. Their coverage is great. It's very extensive. And we will be going to their interview and discussion in a moment, which took place at the Festival Hub. And then we'll be returning to the 2SCR studio with the four of us to chat a little bit more about reviews and some of the things that we have seen and some of the things coming up over the next few days at the Sydney Film Festival. We have with us Tiana Malhotra. Hi. Amy Lehman. Hello. And Amelia Pieri. Hey. So before we we are at the Sydney Film Festival, it is the it, it's been full swing. It's been a lot of fun. We're at the Festival Hub. Do come find us. It is a great environment here. We're going to talk about the films we're, we've seen, what we will be seeing at the festival. But first, can you tell us a little bit about Film in Revolt? Um, okay, so Film Revolt is a not-for-profit organisation, um, and we provide a platform for young creatives to gain access into the film industry, to network, to um, gain access to filmmakers, and interview them and expand their knowledge. And that's filmandrevolt.org. Yes, it is. So first of all, tell us about some of the flicks that you've seen so far. It's a few days in, you would have caught some stuff. So what have, what have you seen? Um, well, I haven't seen anything yet. I'm looking forward to White Crow in the next few days. Um, and High Life, and also the Agnes Varda retrospective, which I'm really excited for, and seeing cleared from 5 to 7. So looking forward to those ones. I think we're going to highlight too. I think we're. I think it's probably one of the highlights of the festival. Cleo from five to seven is one of the highlights of my life. It's like one of my <laughs> top favorite films ever. So yeah, you're in for a treat. Great, great. Yeah. And and yourself, what are you seeing at the festival? Uh, so I've already seen the Minuscule movie, which was amazing. I loved it, and I also just saw Tito and the Birds, which was also fantastic. Um, I love animation, so it's so good to see some of that in the festival. Catching the anime film? I've forgotten what it's called. Children of the Sea? <laughs> I did have a look at that. I am interested in maybe buying a ticket for that. It looks really good. Tell us a little bit about Minuscule because I remember seeing it in the program but I haven't had the chance to see it yet. Yes, yeah, so I loved the TV show when I was younger. I loved the animation. And this film, it's, it's crazy how they can make an, a feature-length film out of silent bugs and they did such a good job um it's a second film as well but i think it's better than the first one um it was really funny as well loved it so much i'm curious is this one that might appeal to people not just across age ranges because certainly that's what it's built at yeah i think my parents both loved it um i think it's something you can just watch just enjoy just like follow along with the story i was really invested in the bugs so I think the story is, um, it's good for all ages. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Beautiful. And Tiana, what have you caught so far at the festival? Uh, okay, so um, I've seen quite a few screeners. I saw Dirty God, directed by Sacha Pollock, which was really great. And Vicky Knight is heading to the festival, so that's really exciting. Um, and then I watched Anna Kokonos's, um Blessed, and then tomorrow I'm watching Third Wife, and next week Queen of Hearts. 
Um, now, we actually have caught Dirty Guard. What did you think it's... The director and the song, yes, are absolutely coming out. What did you think? It's playing in the official competition. What did you think? Um, I really liked it. It had really lovely emotional beats and seeing her evolution. Um, I guess accepting her identity with the disfiguration, which is really fascinating. It was really sad, though. Um, but Vicky Knight, I thought, did an amazing job. So it was really interesting and captivating watching her. We have a new addition to the panel. We have a new addition. Uh, Phil, freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru has arrived. Virat, thank you so much for joining us. Just say hello to the crowd. Hello, hello. So yeah, we're just squeezing some space in here. That's all. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's how we go to the film festival. It's all a bit of uh, of our pants. We're just, so yes, we are talking about Dirty Guard. I really liked her performance in this. Yes. I really like the direction. I think it's one of my favorite films that I've seen so far at the festival. And it just struck me as that it didn't... What I love that it didn't treat her as a straightforward character. There were parts of her character which were very upstanding, but there were parts of her character that were also very redeeming. Right, and sure. Yeah, she's really nuanced in that like, she wasn't just a victim that we sympathise with because some of her actions kind of make us question um, exactly where she was. And I think that was really good because it gave an unflinching portrayal of her instead of just you know, um, romanticising what had happened. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I'm really keen to see how this will play before a crowd. I think it will be one of the highlights of the festival. And so tell us, and I think you're, you said, mentioned you were seeing, there's actually fortuitous timing because you mentioned you were seeing The Third Wife and Queen of Hearts. I think Virat has caught uh, a model both of those, is I, that right? I caught The Third Wife. Did you, did you catch it? Yes, yes, I did see The Third Wife. It was uh, unfortunately not my most favourite moment in my life, but yeah. uh, <laughs> Queen of Hearts was... Uh, yeah, that was quite something too. So it's an interesting, uh, what should I say? Dead Wife was uh, tiresome, but yeah. it's okay. Uh, well, what you'll find the more you uh, listen to us over the course of this interview is that we're just cynical bastards about everything. <laughs> so we were hoping that you could inject some of the vitality of youth into the proceedings <laughs> with some enthusiasm for the festival. No. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, just to be safe, uh, but like Dead Wife is beautifully shot. It's very picturesque and it's, there's some mastery in the, the way that technically how the pictures come together. But I just wasn't on board with the very heavy-handed... Social commentary that's trying to push times. But we but, hope you enjoy it more. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. So we, we are going to talk about the film program, the film festival generally. Now, they've in the past few years tried to pitch the festival at a younger crowd, and certainly there is a strand focused on young people. And I'm very curious, we are very curious, um, to what extent do you feel the festival is or could be catering to young people? Um, okay, well, I think they're doing... Well, a pretty good job at the moment. Um, they do have the youth event on Sunday, um, which I think quite a few people are heading towards. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know, I guess now that I'm over 18, I'm watching everything that's, like, not meant for youth, so it's, like, a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But aside from that, I'm definitely seeing um, a lot more younger crowd every single time I go, which is really great. Um, I think a wider sort of social media kind of personality for the festival has brought a lot of, I mean, Sydney youth in, and... Um, you know, the increasing wide range of films that um, so many different subject matter and uh, directors really brings in a wider audience. So that includes a lot of youth as well. So I think it does a great job of that. Uh, well, my friends and I, we're lucky. We go to school right near a theatre. So um, we've been planning just after school one day, go see one of the films at the festival. And I think social media has helped us. Like, we see a film that's on at the festival. We're like, yeah, that looks good. And then, like, oh, let's go Friday 
Friday night and um so that's been really good we just like make plans so I think something different for us to do not just go and watch a blockbuster something more interesting yeah yeah I remember a few years back um everything you had to be over 18 like I remember looking in envy at the Sydney Film Festival program and thinking oh pity I can't go to anything I remember also um a few years back seeing someone being turned away when they brought kids to the tale of Princess Kaguya which is definitely a family-friendly film um and a a great film so sad to see uh so I think it's it's really good that they've introduced um I think that it's really the government have gotten on board with letting people go to unclassified films if they're under 18 and yeah it's really fortunate for the youth now and it's good that City Film Festival is changing their marketing up and as you say giving more of a social media presence uh talking of younger audiences I mean we're quite young right I mean we're not that old yet Uh, yes we are yes we are but also like generally because you know the average patron age for someone going to City Film Festival it is you know, the other side of 50. So f- from that perspective, yeah, you know, you are talking, when you're talking younger crowd, you're talking about yeah. us as well. Yes, not we not the young crowd. <laughs> no, hold on to that, hold on to that. Yeah. But, but actually, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, thankfully, they don't check your IDs or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, you can, you can pass Shh, off. To be clear, we're not advocating anything. <laughs> but, you know, if you but want to see are. a film, no, um, if you want to see a film, but, you know, you're mature enough and you want to see good cinema, then... Age yeah. is not a number, it shouldn't be a thing. Yeah, fair enough. I agree. And I remember, like, when I first started Film Revolt, like, in 2016, I used to email Lee um, for, like, stuff I wanted to watch, and she'd respond, like, Tia, you can't see this. It's, like, R18. So I'd, like, all my films would be, like, cut in half, and so I'd only watch, like, half of what I wanted to originally watch. But now it's nice, um, especially because I've got way more films that are not 18+. plus. I think also um, changing the classification brings a wider audience to a wider selection of new ideas that doesn't limit them to like um, quite general films. So, yeah, I think it's great for the youth. I think I'm too good. I mean, a lot of discussions, we were talking about Rocketman immediately prior to this discussion, and certainly that among many films, there have been huge discussions about the appropriate classification in Australia. Um, I'm generally on Virat's side of the issue, where, as you say, like, you get exposed to a broader variety of themes. Um, the films at the festival often aren't going to play at general cinemas, and you know they're showing you a much broader idea of cinema and a much broader um, amount of ideas about what the world is and what we can do to change the world. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's great that young people can go in, and I encourage them to keep breaking the laws. <laughs> Again, not what we're actively advocating. <laughs> Glenn's the lawyer of the group. Just, you, you know. I mean, you're not breaking the law it. if you're doing it for cinema. Right. right. It, it is yes. for art. That, it is tell for us art. the judge. Art for art's sake, right? <laughs> it's definitely in the crime deck somewhere. <laughs> so, it's, it's a couple of amazing weeks coming up. We've talked a little bit about what we've seen. Moreover, what are you excited to see or what do you hope to catch in the coming days? Um, well, I'm most excited for interviewing directors um, next week, which I'm really excited for. Um, and, I don't know, I'm really interested in foreign films, so I think that kind of influenced what films I chose for Sydney Film Festival because I just can't access it otherwise. Um, so that's why I chose Third Wife and Queen of Hearts for sure, which I'm really excited to watch just because I don't have access to it. Same. I, I would go to a cinema and you'd see blockbusters and exactly. a lot of them would be 
not from uh, Japanese cinema and cinemas are my favorite among many forms. And I can say that when I was a teenager, the amount of films that were available at... I guess it's different with Netflix and such now, but um, at the cinemas and what got released to DVD, there was a much broader amount of art house stuff than there is now. So um, I think the festival has become really important. And it, yeah, it couldn't have come at a better time for younger audiences to be allowed in. Uh, I think you make a very good point, Grace. I mean, there was a time when we were growing up that we had, you know, civic blockbusters and we had SBS On Demand, which still showed proper, good classic, you know, foreign cinema. And a much broader range of foreign language films and independent films were released in art house cinemas in, you know, 10 years ago than they are now. Now, Amy, I know we spoke a little bit earlier about the films that you're excited to see, but if you had one recommendation or even two recommendations for people listening, what would you say seek out during the festival? Um, I think um, seeking out the Agnes Varda retrospective is really important um, because it reinvigorates her importance as a French filmmaker um, and brings new life to her films, which I think is really essential. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's that's a timely um, retrospective, not just because of her death, but yeah, at a time when we're putting more and more attention on Agnes, oh, sorry, on uh, female filmmakers and the importance of representation, Agnes Varda was someone who really fought to break down barriers um, and was also a genius. So yeah, I agree. It's it's really important to yeah pay respect to her work. Um, speaking more, a bit more broadly outside of the scope of the festival, um, I'm interested in how you guys became involved in Film and Revolt and how your interest in cinema started out more generally. Well, I started maybe like a year ago. Um, My friend told me about Film and Revolt. He was a member uh, and he said, you know, if you really want to get involved in film and see more films and get into like the crux of the film industry, like just give it a shot. Um, yeah, I was lucky to meet this guy and then he told me about it and then from there um, just kind of got bigger and I've always been interested in cinema but I feel like I've really learnt um, about film since and I've been able to speak to some really inspirational people who have given me really good advice for what I do so it's helped me practically and it's helped me like, like you know, like being able to speak to people like that I don't know and like I've done some really, really nerve-wracking stuff and then I come out and I'm so happy that I've been able to do it, and um, a lot of people are really surprised to see like a teenager like in front of them or um, interviewing them. And I think um, a lot of people like like talking to just a teenager and just chatting about film that they love and then I love as well. And it's been really good. Um, so I've always been interested in film since I can remember. I remember going to Blockbuster and like looking through all these crazy films with my dad and watching so many classics. And I was lucky to. Um, meet Lee's daughter um, through school and that's how I came across Film and Revolt originally and I've been doing it for such a long time now and it's really, um, as Amelia said, has like, broadened my experience of film and I've had so many amazing opportunities, um, especially with the festival in previous years um, and yeah, I think it's just really essential um, to have a platform like this to bring more exposure and awareness to youth about the broad range of films that we can access So, um, Well, I got involved Accidentally, I was browsing for film festivals for teenagers like ages ago, and I came across Film Revolt because we had like an entire article dedicated for film competitions for teenagers. And then it had like a little thing, it was like, if you're interested in joining, just email us. So I did, and then Lee got back to me, and then it just like started from there. And 
I think the most valuable thing about Film Revolt is that having the access to have conversations with talent, filmmakers, producers, because all of a sudden these careers seem viable to us. Because otherwise, how else can we get access to being able to like talk to Academy Award winning directors and get some advice and their insight into the industry? Wow, I mean, listening to you guys talk about how you first got involved in movies kind of made me feel really sad because it made me miss the time that, you know, I got to just, you know, involve myself in the magic of cinema because now I get to see so many movies and we become these jaded film critics and take ourselves too seriously and uh, we kind of miss the first kind of initial impressions of why we love film and it was basically the magic of the movies. It wasn't anything to be a film critic. It wasn't about, you know, talking about how bad The Third Wife is or how bad <laughs> Queen of Hearts is. It's just about, mostly about how amazing cinema is and what cinema can do in bringing together people. It brought us together, after all. That's right. It did. I, I still feel some magic. <laughs> some yeah. magic. Yeah, you want to be transported, but um, it's funny. The more um, this goes on, <laughs> this life of judging the movies the more you'll find um, people start to take it as a badge of, of pride of how cynical they are so yeah try not to lose the enthusiasm well, become that person that's why I think Sydney Film Festival is so good because you just for those for that time it's on you're just immersed in films and you see all the ads you see all the press like I'm seeing Final Quarter soon and I've seen all the press for that on TV and um, it's just like everyone's getting behind it like all these young people film a revolt it's just like immersive for the time the festival's on like it's just film 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 and it's so great to just be in that little world um just wondering do you guys see or what do you guys see as uh the future for film i know that's a really broad hard to answer question but do you see much of a future for film or do you think it's in a transitional stage Um, yeah um well i think the magic of it is that it's um always ever changing it's always um um, yeah, it's always changing. So that it's it's giving um, more access to young filmmakers and, and youth to bring about a new sense of film and what film really means for a new generation. So I think that it's always going to be relevant. Um, there's always going to be an audience because it's, you know, always changing. No, it's fascinating because we can sit here in our bubbles and we berate how Sydney doesn't have a film culture or that, you know, we are the last stand of, of movies and beyond us there is no hope. And then you guys come along and really actually care about movies, which is great. <laughs> we're, we're focusing uh, so much on how cynical we are, but the truth is we actually, we actually do love this. We're not, we're not that cynical. We're, we go crazy at Sydney Film Festival time because, you know, like, it pulls you through. The love of movies. Yes, speaking for myself, I, I don't think you could do this for a period without having a deep, endearing love of film. And certainly, as you as your taste may change, then you may become... I think one word for it is cynical, but another word is you can be more selective, and that way you can expose yourself to even more avenues of cinema. I know I certainly would have done so if I hadn't come along to here and successive festivals and, and taken Chris and Virat's recommendations and certainly some of your recommendations. I wasn't really so sure about seeing the documentary, but I'm um, seeing people talk about it so passionately. I think I might just seek it out because, uh, yeah, I, I do want to know more about that story too. I think it's going to be an amazing crowd at that one. As uh, one of my favourite lines and one of my favourite novels, Possession by A. Spide, goes, that cynics are just closet romantics, so we're, we're yes. essentially yes, closet romantics. <laughs> it's just that our spirit has been broken through time, chipped away by you know, the world, so we just need more hope. We're changing from Fight Club to the, either the closet romantics or help us, we need more help. <laughs> <laughs>
I think it's sometimes it's just good to like enjoy a guilty pleasure film like Secret Life of Pets 2 or Minuscule <laughs> like just sit there just enjoy it and just like you know have fun that's what Sydney Film Festival's about. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing Daniels everywhere with a bunch of mates who love horror, and there's no way we're not going to have an enormous amount of fun. You know, you've got quite a lot of coverage coming up. It's already on Film and Revolt, and it's coming up. Interviews, reviews. Where do we get there? How do we find it? Um, okay, well, online on our website, filmrod.org. Um, we've also got Instagram and Facebook, so you can check us out there. It handles Film and Revolt, so that's pretty yep. straightforward to look up. It's been so much fun chatting movies and chatting Sydney Film Festival. I'm sure we're going to see you at so many screenings over the course of the festival. Tiana, Amy, Amelia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much as well. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome back to the 2SER studio. It's really great having Film and Revolt on. They're a really great crew, and they've seen so much and are seeing so much, and they're always around the hub. Yeah, as are we. As are we, mm-hmm. yes. You can you find me yeah. in the hub, bottle full of bub, etc., yeah, you, you can find us at the hub. Um, not right now because we're at the Two SR Studio with Stephen Hill. Yeah, and there's, we, yeah. There's, and a, there's actually a decent chance at least some of us are in the hub as you're listening this. So yeah, yeah. we just magically teleport ourselves and do, mm. do this kind of magical thing. But also, we're just kind of very having a, having a TARDIS would be damn handy for film festivals, wouldn't it? It, it would. would. Yeah. I had a rush between the State Theatre and to get to um, Daniel's and Real the other night from Pain and Glory, both of which we're talking about in the show because we are talking all things Sydney Film Festival. And when we say all things, this time we really mean all things. We're talking about too many movies. Way too many movies. But we're starting with uh, possibly my favourite of the festival so far, which is the new Florian Henkel von Donnerschmark film Never Look Away, which is having its Australian premiere tonight. It is starring, I think the fellow's name is Tom Schilling and Tom Sebastian Schilling, yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Kosch, he was in yeah. a great German film from uh, not quite 10 years ago called, called um, uh, No, Oh Boy. I really recommend that one. But uh, anyway, that's probably not what best we're known for Life for. of Others. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, no, no, no. The, the young guy. Oh, you're talking about Tom Schilling. My Tom Schilling, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Sebastian Koch plays the. Um, Yes. From Black Book. Uh, he plays the, well, a terrible person. Um, the, and this is an epic in every sense of the word. It is the longest film I've seen at the festival and also mm. the most rewarding. It chronicles Kurt, the Tom Schilling's character's experience as a child in Dresden in the lead up to and during the Second World War and then later in his life um, where he becomes an artist in East Germany during Soviet rule. This has... I'm going to actually get to start with what I didn't like about this film, and it's very sparing. There's some exposition. There's some bits that are stated pl- all too obviously. There is a very contrived moment at the end of the film, which is still a very cathartic moment, and one of its best as we reach a relatory crux. Having said all that, um, the moments are so few and far between because he takes such a time to tell the ages, and whether it be the bombing of Dresden or... Um, Kurt's experience as an artist growing up in the 50s in this era of history. It's a beautifully rendered film which deals beautifully with um, naturalistic art, and I absolutely loved it. I think, um, I, look, I, I really enjoyed it the, because the craft is beautiful. Um, we've got Caleb Deschanel on cinematography, um, but it's almost, I think, too pretty and too handsome and too <laughs> conventional in a way. It, it's a very Hollywood-feeling film. Um, and th- I think, yeah, this reveals itself in so many in so many ways. Like um, the almost soap opera-like machinations in order to tie all these um, coincidences together, uh, the prettiness of the characters and the prettiness of the scenery and the way, the way it's scored. Um, I, th- I think 
there's an obviousness to it that undercuts some of the emotional punch it could have had, but I still got swept up in it because it's um, it's it's still a pretty stirring story, and it's still very well paced, um, well acted, well told. And it's uh, pretty long, right? So yeah, I mean, three, three well, hours. Well, I thought about six minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it felt like a two-hour film. That was yeah. one of yeah, the things I thought. It flew by. I was shocked. Yeah, with the pace together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To hold your attention with that long, I think it's mm. pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't. It didn't linger in any sort of moment like that. I mean, so I mean, and it really did require that actual length to be able to sort of include all of the the aspects. So it wasn't like there was any sort of like uh, apocalypse now sort of parts when that you know the in the director's cut where they had twenty minutes and you go well in the end. Was that really needed for the film? This actually, I think, I, I couldn't see where the director could could have made t- too much in the way of cuts. It really didn't need the three minutes to really draw itself out. But at, at, no, at no time was there a period where I thought I, it's lingering. I can I can think of something I, I would cut. Um, there's a moment where the main villain is shown to be sleeping with someone other than his wife, and it serves no purpose other than you know in case the audience didn't get that he's the bad bad no good nazi just one extra th- reason not to like this guy who is like almost like mustache twirling villain it reminds me of the moment in the shape of water when michael shannon's character yeah. abuses in the office the uh what's i'm sorry i've forgotten her name uh from morty uh to do, do, do yes. the main the main act the main yes. actress and it's absolutely awful and yes we already know he's terrible mm. um last comment on this movie is that it is about bourgeois art. It is about art in and of itself, and it's a treatise on film and filmmaking too. It's beautiful. It's coming out uh, in a look, couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll talk about it more then, but what you just said, I can't let that go without commenting that this is a movie that opens up with all these uh, speeches about you know, being oh, yes. bold and unconventional, and then it's the most conventional movie ever. <laughs> you know, So it's a, it doesn't really capture the spirit of the time, so to say. <laughs> So, so it will be in terms of it does get a general release, and we will be discussing not this Wednesday show, but the Wednesday after next. Next, we're talking about had its Australian premiere at the festival. It is the first public screening. It is also Pedro Moldova's Pain and Glory. Moldova, Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory. There's no mold, nothing mouldy about this film. No, there is not. It is starring Antonio Banderas, who won the Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival. It is very autobiographical. It is a film about an aging director played by Banderas, who. Um, is questioning his creative choices and questioning his life and questioning what stories, if any, he wants to tell later in his career. I saw the premiere at the State Theatre. I absolutely adored this film. It is my favourite of his in several years. Certainly it's an improvement on Julieta, which have ended very poorly. It's the best mm. since uh, The Skin I Live In. Yeah, yes, I, absolutely. I would agree. I would Definitely. agree. Absolutely. And I would say it is also a treatise on filmmaking. There is a very elegant twist in this film, about, which is about biography. And the entire film says, while you can encapsulate and understand lived experience of others, you also, it is also indiscernible to a great extent. But as filmmakers, you strive for it. And in here, he strived for it so much. And it's beautiful to see. Yeah, this, this is my favorite film of the festival so far. I was surprised by how much I was moved by it, essentially, because... Uh, I think uh, the way it talks about uh, pain and chronic pain and living with chronic pain is something I related with very much so, especially because, you know, almost it's like chronic pain can allow you to, you know, even the things that you want to do so much, you actually don't end up doing because of how it chips away at you moment by moment and day by day. And it's not even about the mundane things. That's a separate thing altogether. But the things that you really want to do, and in this character, Banderas plays it so well, it is quite affecting, quite... Uh, I've never seen Banderas so 
vulnerable ever since Almodovar's last film, probably. So I think they make a very good combination. And usually, the things I hate about his directing style actually worked really well in this film together. The fast and loose way of telling the story. Yeah, his last few films for me have felt a little bit unsatisfying in the way that um, they have a whole bunch of separate narrative strands and the narrative kind of just wanders around and for me it's kind of ended inconclusively. But in this one, there's a real emotional punch. to the, He's found a way to work these different strands. Uh, characters just kind of drift in and out. Um, but this gives it a sense of a huge amount of scale in terms of the locations and um, the huge emotions in the main character's life that are being portrayed to through these flashbacks and uh, through these chance meetings with characters from his past. Um, and then you realize that it's really just an incredibly intimate story, mostly about a guy hanging around at home. <laughs> but it's been <laughs> rendered in such a beautiful way. And um, it is a film about filmmaking and the, you know, and about the director himself, but I don't think it feels self-indulgent because this. First of all, El Motivar is so generous in terms of what he gives to you. Like early in the film, there's this eye-popping animated montage, which yeah. is just gorgeous. Oh, you the know, title credits are stunning. Yeah, they are. It but is. you know, when he he talks about his ailments, and it's so, but. It's so funny as at the same time as being sad. Yeah, this film was actually genuinely funny, even yeah, though it very deals funny. with very heavy subjects. It, it, it featured, doesn't feel yeah, heavy on the nose at it, all. It features some out, one in particular outrageously over-the-top comic set piece for <laughs> a film like this, and yet it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I think in the way that it, it's touching on nostalgia and regret and... Um, moments from your past coming back to you, I think it, it becomes universal as opposed to just being a self-indulgent trip. Yeah, I'm actually going to distinguish your comments slightly. I do think it's incredibly self-indulgent, but I don't think it, this is a rare criticism I'll make. I don't think it's a problem simply because the craft is so exceeding. Well, um, we should have a little bit more self-indulgence these days, I think, if, yeah, if there people this- are, you know, if, really, El Motivar is indulging us, I will say. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it self-indulgence. I would say the signature style of the director. Like, you know, you can see his <laughs> stamp on it, which is, I think, a good thing. I don't think it's self-indulgence. I think it is just about saying, here's how I make movies and deal with it, Yeah, which is a good thing. And I'm sure we're going to be discussing this in coming months too because it will get a general release. Mm. Um, Pain and Glory is playing on next Saturday night at 8.30 at the Orpheum and next Tuesday as a extra session following the festival on the 18th at 8.05 at the Opera Keys and uh, Never Look Away, which we should have mentioned earlier, is playing tonight, 8.35 at the State Theatre, Tuesday at 10 a.m. at the State Theatre and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. at the Orpheum. A lot of those sessions are selling fast. The next film we're discussing is an Italian film, I believe, which I have not seen, which is Piranhas. I have not seen Piranhas, so... Oh, who has seen Piranhas? We've seen it. Yeah, we've we've seen it. Yeah, look, uh... I really liked the opening. Um, It's... It's familiar, I guess, to um, things like Once Upon a Time in America. You know, it's the young kids deciding we're going to take over this town and banding together in Naples as a a gang, making deals with, you know, other gangs, double crosses, rise to power, rise and fall. Um, But I really liked the uh, character details early on. I think there was a lot of attention to what are teenage boys like this like you know too much testosterone dumb impulsive um (laughs) there's really funny little character details there's this don character that um one of the (laughs) the protagonists (laughs) is groveling to and is meeting at his apartment between this crotchety old guy and the 
the <laughs> young overconfident guy is hilarious. Um, I, I really like the way it's shot, capturing the sun-dappled streets and ruins. It really captured the the verticality of Naples in a in a beautiful yeah. way, I think. But um, and ultimately, it becomes stuck in the second half of the film in just the conventions of gangster movies. It's it was it's boring. We've seen this a million times before. It abandons the kind of moment-to-moment character basis in favor of something more plot-based, which doesn't work in its favor. And, uh, you know, something that really epitomizes the faults of the film for me was the girlfriend character who has no oh, yeah. purpose all, other than all, being... All the women in this movie. Yeah, that's right. The mother and props. the girlfriend are just there to be the mother and the girlfriend. And beyond that, their you know, only attribute is long-suffering. So, you know, it's it's just same old... Yeah, I would agree with you, Chris. I mean, it's a, it's a great, fun twist in the mafia story. In the first half, I loved how, you know, it's basically kids trying to pretend to be adults. Yeah. And you can see how... Bugsy Malone. Yeah, pretty much that. But, you know, we've all done that. We've all tried to, you know, <laughs> uh, stand in front of the mirror and recite lines from Al Capone and whatever. I don't know, I've done that. Maybe a lot of people haven't done that. So, you know, I need <laughs> to... Yeah, you need to work <laughs> on my idols, <laughs> clearly. But, you know... Thank you, an offer you can't refuse. Thank you, thank you. So, you know... That was quite relatable and quite funny, but I think in the second half it does get caught up in not knowing what it wants to do. I think it's about trying to hit the beats of the mafia story, and that's less interesting. The first half is fun because you get to see all these. Actually, because, you know, since all of these are kids, it's different to. It's hard to differentiate why they're different, but the, the film does it really well in etching out how the idiosyncrasies are quite different from each other. So I think that was really good. It felt a really Lord of the Flies kind of feel to it. But in the second half, it just gets caught up in telling a straight-out gangster story like John Dillinger kind of thing on the run, which is mm, yeah. boring. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So Piranhas is screening tomorrow at 4 p.m. at the Rand of Grits. The next film we're talking about is one I regret I actually missed, and it's The Souvenir. Yeah, The Souvenir, it's, uh, it's, it's lovely. It's, uh, it took me a while to actually settle in because the initial response to it, it takes you about an hour or so to settle in and actually realize how affecting it is. It's a very... Um strangely framed and paced film um, by conventional standards because we um, major moments are skipped over. It's going for a fragments yeah. of memory kind of feeling where you might, um, a scene might open up where characters are referring to something that's happened earlier without ever fully explaining it to the audience. But I never found it hard to follow. I think it really no. respects the audience's intelligence. Um, that style for me com- becomes kind of hypnotic after a while because it does. It, it does. Yeah, it's portraying kind of very mundane in some sense um, scenes, and yet there's there's a poetry to it. And um, I think you know the textures, like the yeah. it really feels like because this is an autobiographical film. Yeah, from a once filmmaker. again, I think yeah, after Pain and Glory. So yeah, I, I saw them in a double bill. Yeah. bill too. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they have mo- quite a bit in common. But um, the um, it, way it, it's been sh- uh, edited and the way it's been yeah. shot as well um, really, I think, evokes the feeling of memories coming back to you. There's this recurring device of moving from to handheld kind of flickery yes. um, images, which I took to be the main character seeing things as real, you know, in terms of her art. You know, having a moment in her real life because it uh, yeah, there's, there's the a un- dreamlike quality to it. Yeah. You never know when you're in the surreal and when you're in the real. Yeah, yeah. but um, I think that this film is about having your life informing your art and le- um, the process of that starting to happen for this person. I, yeah. I really like that way that um, Joanna Hogg, in my opinion, I, I think that what she was doing was finding a way to you know visualize through her main character's eyes her 
medium of filmmaking being influenced by the moments as they happen. Yeah, I think it'll be helpful to contextualize a bit about what the film is about uh, for our listeners. So this is a film by Jonah Hogg. It is the first part of maybe there's a second part in progress. It's basically autobiographical about a young female protagonist who's trying to discover herself who wants to become a filmmaker and she goes to film school in early to mid 20s. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, fun uh, textures about uh, you know what uh, how film school functions and i think there's a lot of funny scenes about uh, you know people in film school and what they're like and how pretentious they can be so i think it's 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 a very interesting funny thing what? no yeah no. <laughs> yeah i know i know none Perish of these are here thought. of course you know it was, we're all we're all about that. Play at all just <laughs> it, it was though it it didn't um spend ages condescending about no, the no, art people you know no. there, there's there's something this film felt to me really honest it is honest because they, they, when they're talking about Psycho and the scene in Psycho then you can see the scenes after that are framed like that <laughs> so it's very interesting how the film <laughs> yeah. is a meta narrative in itself but it uses a lot of the things they're talking about in the very scenes after it so it's interesting but the main kind of attraction of the story is the relationship the protagonist has with another character who, who is going through some uh, problems of their own and how mm-hmm. they kind of self-destructive for each other so it's an interesting once again you know I know a lot of people like that yeah. in my life so I felt that they're too close to home it's very so, much about inexperience and yeah. um, people you know a, a young person being manipulated essentially oh, yeah. by it's, a it's, self-destructive it's, person it's a story of manipulation and it's it's quite harrowing in that sense but, when it dawns on you but, but it's never heavy but he's a, a great character because yes, you still believe he is, that he, he loves her and he you, does. you still believe um that he, there are things about him that are incredibly charming and attractive, yeah. <laughs> despite <laughs> which all his a, lo- flaws, a lot of, lot of those uh, characters are in, in real life too. So I guess yeah. it does hit close to home. Tilda Swinton is in there as well in a very uh, sort of you know not Her daughter ma- is role. playing the lead, yeah. which is interesting. Real life mother and daughter. Okay. Yeah. So that is the souvenir. It is playing again on Friday night at six fifteen at the Hayden Orpheum and Sunday at four forty five. The Ritz. The latter session is sold out, but usually tickets pop up. Individual keep sessions an eye out. become available. Do keep an eye out. The next film we're talking about is one I saw on Friday night, which is the extraordinary journey of Celeste Garcia. It is a Cuban sci-fi about Celeste who uh, finds out, along with the rest of Cuba, that aliens have ingratiated themselves into society and have lived among everyone and have now offered so many people to visit their planet. So part of the film is her deciding what she will do, whether she will take up this offer and the follow-through and impact of that I found this the premise and the lead incredibly charming. The couple did each other very well. She was incredibly well cast. I found the first act of this film, which I just referred to, where this conflict is very much more apparent, the most interesting. I wish there'd be more sci-fi elements to it. There was a lot of sci-fi for a standard sci-fi film. There was also, as is the case in many sci-fis, I a very happy, convenient romance. I didn't get the sense that this is really a sci-fi film without having seen it. It sounds to me just like a strange... Strange genre flick, which mm. yeah, I mean, I was, I was fascinated of how much of it was having a look at the sort of the very planned Cuban society. Of there's a there's a mild sort of satirical uh, commentary going through the veins, but I mean, it's very cautious, sort of like the Russian comedies. If you think of some of the the Russian comedies that were sort of made in the sort of seventies or so, I think there's a sort of similarity in that of that sort of having a sort of mildly sort of modern sort of giggle at sort of. Of, of Cuban society, but in a way that can't, you know, <laughs> you know, without any of the sort of sharp edges that sort of uh, 
a much more if it were to go into sort of darker territory. But I thought that was quite like that sort of levity actually actually worked in its in its favour. Having that sort of it's quite a gentle film. And some of the characters I would actually like to spend more time on some of the other characters around. I thought that was yes. quite fascinating. I thought that the tangos the the, the the sort of closeted gay tango singer I thought was a really fascinating character that was along and. Yeah, I just thought there was a few characters. I just thought oh, it would have been interesting to have a bit more of a sort of broader cosmology about the decision why people made the decision. Oh, we get, we need to leave Cuba and you know to get on this um, spaceship. Don't we? Or is it the sort of uh, to, to 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 travel somewhere unknown? I just thought that would have been interesting to see that explored a bit more. But there's some great humorous things like a uh, this sort of virtual reality with a giant chicken, and there's little sort of moments where with the sort of yeah with something totally off. Off the off the ball, which is sort of, I think what I think that you know when you when you see the description of the film, I think that's what would draw most of the people to. It, is this is something that you are not going to you know? That's what's you know a great a great as a festival choice. Is this the sort of film that you're not going to encounter on your usual visits to the cinema? No, I certainly like the sequences, the bunks with were introduced to a few of those characters. My favorite was the drill instructor slash organizer who was hilarious with every dripping with disdain with every line with how she addressed the crowd the other event I really enjoyed was the way that the other world was depicted all the glimpses we got it's very much like ours except some animals are much bigger than it might be expected there was a particularly great visual of a giant fowl which I, which I thoroughly enjoyed. That was The Extraordinary Journey of Celeste Garcia. It is playing on next Sunday at 4.45 at Event Cinema's George Street. The next film we are talking about is one that Verona and I caught on opening night. It was the first film at the festival proper, which is Ghost Town Anthology. It's from director, Cuba director, I think Dennis Cote. Is that his pronunciation? Yeah. And it is a film where in a town of 221 people, a small Quebecois town, a young man dies. And then very a while after that, the um, the dead start to come to life, but don't do a lot. This, this <laughs> they don't do a lot. They, they don't. And what struck me about this movie is the disparity in the storytelling. The first eight minutes is just ideal narrative storytelling. There's not a lot of dialogue. You have cause to effect. You have this, a setup done very well over six scenes. You learn all about the town, the character of the town. You learn all about the main characters, whether it be the family of the deceased or the mayor or a few of the other figures. And then they spend about 45 minutes redoing the stuff because they probably thought they hadn't done it properly, but they had to take an hour to get to the main story and then nothing happens there's some very blatant symbolism and what really got me about this film and you, you see it with a lot of the Brett Gelman films they like to use and a ghost story which I think actually I'll, I know Virat raised with me it's using similar deadpan um, pacing to tell a dramatic story it worked in a ghost story because it was just inherently funny in some senses by the longevity of the shots and what they were supposed to endure in many senses. There's nothing like that here. I think it's very poorly framed for the type of pacing and the type of story they want to tell. It wasn't funny. If I'm making it sound like it's funny, it's not. And it's actually not one I would recommend. It spirals out after the first eight or ten minutes and does not pick up from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was... This was uh just a drag, honestly. It was. It is quite hard to sit through. Also, I sat through a short before it, which is also problematic uh, in the sense that I was just like, it didn't set the mood. So I think you know, I was predisposed to be like, oh my god, it's going to be a long night, and it ended up being a long night anyway. And it sort of continued. Uh, you know, I guess zombies are the f- sort of festival theme of this year. I guess a lot of zombie movies are, uh, are in the program, as, as last year's uh, theme was something else entirely, which we're not going to touch upon again. But you know, you know, it's. Uh, I'm glad that's changed to zombies this year. But mostly, I think this film, what I hated about it is was it is trying to go for a mood piece, 
but there is no mood to it. Like, you know, <laughs> there's nothing. It's it's quite bland, it's quite empty. The sparseness of the landscape is, is interesting because, you know, it's it's cold, it's it's harsh, and you can see that's having an effect on the mood of the people because, you know, there's nothing there. And it's talking about political ramifications of literally all, you know, uh, Midwestern towns leaving and going to the city and how they've become literal ghost towns. So there is something... Metaphor, there. you get it? Exactly, mm. metaphors, you know. So they're literal ghost towns of people who've moved out to the cities and then they've left vacant spaces of not, nothing to occupy so you know but you know it it's too blatant it's too on the nose much better watching Frederick Wiseman's uh, Monrovia, Monrovia Indiana, Indiana which does that much better and in a much more interesting way this was just this was just sad and not in a good way so what is sad and not in a good way is Ghost Town Anthology at Wednesday 12 Wednesday 9pm on the 12th of June in the Vincent Cinema's George Street briefly Next film oh sorry I felt well, I wanted to use the opportunity to segue into Monrovia Indiana this is one it starts out really well. Um, I think I really. Um, I was talking to Ian Barr about it, and my tired brain is going to default to some of the, stealing some of the things he said. I really, yeah, I, I, I really admire his approach. Um, the way that he he's so patient and just lets you observe natural rhythms and find out, um, you know, the character of these people just by immersing you in the town and in and in the the, um, the way they talk to each other. But I did find that at two hours and twenty minutes, it did feel maybe twice as long as it really needed to be. I understand that the point is to immerse you in a space, but um, there was a point where I, I felt like the point was made. It's still a shorter Weissman film, though, compared to his other ones. So I guess yeah, he's learning his lesson. So that so Ghost Town Dodge we mentioned uh, Monrovia, Indiana is playing. Do, 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 let me just bring it up. Is playing. On the 15th, the Saturday, and then the Opera Keys at midday. The next film we're talking about is, which one I haven't seen, Queen of Hearts. Yeah, Queen of Hearts. I think this has been one of the best films I've seen so far of the so far in the, in the festival. Uh, a Danish film, and it was, you know, from the from the premise of the title, it's one of those films that's either going to actually deliver or it's going to be a massive disappointment. It's really easy to have been, it could easily have been a very overwrought melodrama. But I thought this really was a very, very focused film uh, based about... Um, this um, a, a, a children's rights advocate who suddenly um, gets involved in a um, sexual relationship with her son-in-law, who um, who has a troubled also has a troubled troubled past, and it's it's actually a really I mean, very well directed and very focused in its approach. Uh, the, the the lead actress, I mean, the performance is it's very strong, uh, it, and it, it it isn't just a sort of um, Nordic ice lady, which we've sort of seen some some really powerful uh, performances. I thought this this has had some really measured uh, things, and yeah, I'd, I'd certainly thought. I mean, this was also a film I saw was it about eight thirty or something on a day when I, you know, was up early, and it was like the fourth film. So often, if those those films don't capture your attention, your your concentration slips, and this my my concentration didn't slip at all within you know one moment of this film. I thought this didn't have, you know, it didn't have too much in the way that um, sort of made your mind wander too much. And and but it wasn't in any way a sort of just a nice sort of safe thriller where it was leading. I thought yeah, certainly one of the one of the best films I've seen so far in this festival. Wow, I guess uh, we're going to be the opposite side of the spectrum, Stephen, for this mm-hmm. one. Uh, you know, I've already uh, kind of thrashed its film and the Queen of Queen, not Queen of Revolt, <laughs> the film and Revolt. Film Revolt. Sorry, is- sorry, <laughs> meshing words together now. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I felt, uh, look, it's got an interesting premise, especially mm-hmm. about manipulation once again mm-hmm. and uh, guilt that comes from because you know the main protagonist is a children's rights advocate, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, and she gets involved 
in a youngish, mm-hmm. you know, relationship with a youngish person the, herself, and that the kind of guilt that comes from that is interesting. And what she does and the actions she takes are uh, quite questionable, if uh, if we can say so. But it kind of reminded me a bit of the the Russian film from last year. Uh, God, I'm forgetting from the Russian filmmaker who's very famous. Uh, Love, Loveless, Loveless, That's Loveless. Oh, yeah, okay. Loveless. Yeah. It's a good yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess a lot of it is that about you know how just you know terrible people making terrible decisions in this terrible town. It's it just you know, it, and it, it just became relentless after a while for me. And it just like you know, it, it tries to go in interesting directions, but the only directions it can go on is are very predictable. And then you become that everyone is kind of just bad. You know, in this world, nobody's. Looking at it from a, you know an outside in perspective, and everyone's too involved and just looking out for themselves, it just became quite relentlessly predictable in that sense. And but still, I agree with you. The lead protagonist's performance was very good. She carried the whole film on her shoulders practically. There was nobody else who was that interesting. Unfortunately, we didn't get mm. much time to develop all the other characters as much. Mm. But she did a brilliant job. But mm. yeah, the film did quite work for me. So I thought the husband's performance also was was very solid too. I thought. He he put in a very good a very good performance too. The half side I thought, particularly as the as the film develops, we get much more of a perspective of him and that whole thing of he does, of him doubting himself and his sort of questioning. Yeah. So uh, I thought that and that sort of uncertainty. I think I thought that that was played quite well. Fair enough. So that was Queen of Hearts. It is screening on Friday the fourteenth at the State Theatre at two p.m. The next film we're talking about is one Chris and I saw, and it is getting a general release via Mad Men. It is Apollo Eleven. Now you may think that there's not a lot to say about the moon landing. It is the fiftieth anniversary coming up, especially after First Man came out last year. However, we didn't like First Man. This is a lot better than First Man. It uses archival footage. The filmmaker sifted through eleven thousand hours of footage to make us footage. Some we've seen, some we haven't. There is a particularly notable sequence which is staged very similarly to a sequence in Interstellar, which. I I found much more captivating as there is a sequence stage very similar to one in First Man regarding the actual moon landing the difference which is done much much better the difference is that in Interstellar it made no sense to limit the camera you know to some of the angles Nolan did in a dumb attempt at realism whereas here this is you know real <laughs> there was no drone the camera, hanging out up there exactly the, the, you know the camera is, is stuck to the is stuck to the machine and knowing that um, this is real. That invests that kind, uh, you know, those kinds of sequences with so much more tension. Even obviously knowing the outcome, this is well put together enough that it really sustains interest and excitement. I would say, um, wow, it felt like an action movie, dumb, especially during the liftoff sequence. Yeah, dumb attempted realism. Wow, that's harsh. Uh, no, I, I do think I'm always up for a good Nolan slam, um, <laughs> but the uh, a lot of this footage is fairly familiar to me um if you've seen some other recent moon documentaries um the the marketing angle of you know amazing new footage isn't so incredible it's more an the effort of editing all of this together so that it resembles a conventional narrative it still does feel a little bit distancing as it drags on into the second half to have um it basically no dialogue and the only sound we're hearing being that from radio and maybe that reveals the artificiality of the construction with regard to the the sound effects and the music a little bit in a way that became slightly distracting but it's still really stirring i I thought this is a very well put together action thriller really out of the original footage it's an action movie and it's much better than i think any of the space exploration ones I've seen, I'd include Interstellar in that. I didn't mind. I thought it was average but and overrated. But this was really good by Todd Douglas Miller. It screened for the first time tomorrow at 9.30 at the State Theatre. 
a.m., Saturday, 15th of June at 2 p.m., and Sunday, the 16th of June at 1.45 at the Hayden Orpheum. The next film we're talking about is one Chris and I caught together. It is Dirty God. It is playing in the official competition from director Sasha Pollack and starring Vicky Knight. Uh, we discussed, I think, brief last week. It is about a victim of a very brutal acid attack in East London and and recovering from this attack at the immediate outset of being discharged from hospital and trying to acclimatize back to her life and finding it in many respects understandably very difficult mm. i found this is one of my favorite films of the festival mm. of the ones i've seen i don't think never look away is in the official competition it might be my favorite it of is. the official competition so never far. look away is in the official competition never look away oh all right then well i'm gonna give it to florian but this is certainly a very serious contender uh, what i liked about this film i liked i what i actually, what i may like to remain is simply that i think there's a would have been an enormous temptation to depict Sasha Pollack's, certainly Sasha Pollack, Vicky Knight's character in one particular way. However, as I mentioned in the film and the vault discussion, there are many aspects to her which are not glamorous, which are irredeeming, and she was an incredibly multifaceted character, and I like that the film uh, felt that they could and went go in this direction, and it led to a very rich portrait to her, which I really appreciated. In a lot of ways, um, this reminds me of a lot of recent kind of British social realist movies. A lot of people, I think, will think of Fish Tank and the relationship between mm-hmm. the single mother and and the lead character, and in the way that she's predicted, predict, sorry, portrayed in a somewhat unflattering way. Um, but yeah, what separates this film obviously is the focus on the physical disfigurement, and it's a character who I think probably feels like she doesn't really have anything to base her identity or her pride in herself on, except for her beauty, and then the struggle when that's taken away from her. Um, that, but it it focuses on that, you know, like the value of the physical beauty in our society, um, and the you know the the struggle for people and uh, the disadvantage of of people who you know one way or another don't have it without really overplaying its hand. A lot of the details feel very genuine and true. Um, I yeah, I really liked it. I thought some of the symbolism was a little overstretched. Um, there's a there's a terrible moment where the title gets dropped. Oh, bad roll credits moment. The, yeah, the title gets dropped um, in a way where the character spo- speaks in this very plain way. You know, she's meant to be an uneducated, lower working class person. And then suddenly she drops this very poetic line about my God isn't like yours. My God is a dirty God. Beyond beyond what does that mean? Beyond being a catchy line and a catchy title, it was so out of place for her character and and the interactions depicted in the film yes. up until then. Um, I, I don't know. There, there's something about these kinds of films that I wonder though, where it's like the focus on m- misery. Even though this it wasn't relentless because the, the you know obviously darkness is earned with the subject matter, but I wonder if there's a degree of condescension to a lot of these films. You know, like it it is sympathetic to the working class but it's everyone in this film is terrible to each other and i wonder if there's a degree of you know empathy but really it's a privileged person you know behind a camera sneering at the subject matter in a little in a way like you know benevolent but benevolent classism i suppose because there's very few positive um you know the, the way these people screw each other over constantly is pretty ugly if you think about it loveless hangover is what you're <laughs> suggesting I don't know I mean I, I kind of thought I mean the mother, the mother character like, I thought it was more the, the the sort of social positions I mean they're all sort of having their own difficulties in life it, yeah and so, right. there, there's, so there is that, context yeah, and reason yeah, given yeah. for that to be the case yeah. 
but it's still just like everyone's portrayed that way, like her friends as well. Mm. That I sort of started to think that you know, I didn't find that. Mm. Right. I honestly, mm. didn't. I didn't get that impression. I feel it promoted what I think will be an extremely mm. relatable experience for many. Mm. And yes, I appreciate that a lot of these were lousy characters, but you do really come to empathize with the main character. Oh, you, you absolutely mm. do with, yeah. without question. But I feel this is but one story, and certainly there are these figures that pervade every corner of society. Um, I, I'm i going to highlight... No, I, say, I think it's certainly one of the standout films too. I, I was very impressed with it too, so I just would like to, to, to back that up. Um, I thought also what was interesting too is that sort of the the mixture of her being, while it's such an immensely rebellious character and yet at the same time very conformist and that kind of duality and how that sort of played out and, and sort of those humorous scenes um, within which um, at, at the call centre... And also the mm. and also that willingness to I think you know to be exposed also those scenes about you know the the, the sec, on the sex cam and that was actually quite and I didn't think it was overplayed I thought that was that was a real yes. vulnerability in that to, to actually show that and I thought that that took a took a fair bit of courage to actually sort of good for Vicky Knight yeah right. she's a, a twenty three year old actress yeah, and oh, she was great like, in yes, this yeah, and is. she's coming to Australia for the festival which is phenomenal oh, fabulous well, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly one we should check out I guess yeah it should catch it I guess yeah no, good to drink the polarizing opinions it's a very no I I did enjoy it it's very empathetic and it does draw you into her experience um the last thing i'll comment about this film my favorite scene and it's a passing scene is when she's outside the call center and i think she throws something or spits at a gentleman who's passing and he looks back at her and is about to say something but he i think he notices her appearance and i think this is made quite explicit in the film just uh, looks at her for a bit and then decides not to and that little interaction it's wordless it's a bulk but it captures so much about what makes this film distinct and idiosyncratic and there are many moments like this and I'd, on, I'd strongly recommend seeing it it is screening on for the first time Australian premiere Wednesday night 6.30 at the State Theatre Thursday morning 11.40 at the State Theatre and Saturday afternoon 2pm at the Randwick Ritz the next film we are talking about is Agnes by Varda yeah, okay. I, mean, I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. And I don't know. I, I mean, I thought the first half was quite, quite interesting. But I mean, I, would, I just thought as a, as a documentary, I didn't think it really added much to, to what you've already seen of a fabulous work. And I thought there was, I mean, there's really go and see the, the 10 films. And I think there was much more richness in that than I thought. I thought, I mean, I just felt it was hardly put together at the end. I don't know what you thought, Chris. I, I haven't caught it yet. I'll be catching it next week. But I've heard of, um, a few people say that it's covering a lot of the same ground that The Beaches of Agnes, which is playing in the program, covered already, but better. Yeah. Uh, interesting, Stephen, that you're on the opposite side of the fence because I, I really loved it. But maybe that's because uh, it was a nostalgic trip for me. You know, mm. in, in a lot of the sense, it is, yes, it's covering the same subjects, mm. but you get more of a definitive personal statement from Varda in mm. this one that she's trying to actually... Uh, say something that she hasn't and she's like you know trying to capping it all off for you you know in a way it is it is kind of a good send-off if, if you mm-hmm. can get that you know yeah. you know it's almost her getting the chance to say this is my final word on my own filmography which is without being self-indulgent once again sorry just to correct what i said so, before that i meant uh that beaches of agnes handle it better yeah so that is Vada by Agnes, excuse me, not Agnes by Vada. It screens Saturday the 15th at 4.50 p.m. at Dendi Opera Keys. We'll be back on Wednesday talking in a lot more detail about the Sydney Film Festival, a lot of films that have screened, a lot of films that will be screening. I want to thank the Film and Revolt crew, um, Amelia, Amy and Tiana for joining us, as well as Lee Russell from Film and Revolt. And I'd like to thank Stephen Hill for joining us talking all things Sydney Film Festival. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> 
so please do come to the festival um check it check out the hub uh subscribe on itunes and spotify it's a really great environment and you can just immerse yourself in film see three or four a day if you want to we certainly are and it's and it's just an enormous great time this we're going to battle on it's been glenn falkenstein chris evans and for you have a wonderful night enjoy movies good night Bye. good night <laughs>